0: Hello, this is Technology Corner for the week of June 25th, 2006. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. I have a policy, and my policy is to always use the best application available for whatever it is I want to do. Sometimes that actually means spending less than i might otherwise spend i've been using a commercial file transfer protocol program an ftp program to upload websites including the technology corner website for several years the program was from a company that i will not mention but it was certainly one that carried a fairly substantial price one of the problems that i had encountered with it on a fairly regular basis it would crash so I started looking for some options, some other programs that I might be able to use. And among those programs that I considered was one that's called FileZilla. That's not from the Mozilla organization, despite the name. FileZilla is an open source application. And because it's an open source application, it is, as are most open source applications, free to download. You can if you want Donate money to the people who actually created it, but that is not required. What I found in the process of using FileZilla is that it not only works better, but it doesn't crash. It provides a, a wealth of information, both about the server that I'm uploading files to... And about the process of uploading the files. So it's it's really hard to decide to continue paying for a program when you find one that is free and actually works better. On the Technology Corner website, and by the way, that's www.techbiter.com, or... Technology-Corner.com. Either one will get you there. Same same place. You'll see some screenshots from the program, and you'll see just how much information the application provides. It does all the things that you would typically expect. A I'm nose to nose with a cat. This is one of the interesting things about doing a program from home. Is sometimes critters come to see you. Well, anyway. It's never happened at the radio station. As with most FTP programs, there's a way to define sites that you visit regularly, like technologycorner.com, because I know I'm going to go there every week and upload files. So a single click will get me logged on, get me to the appropriate directory on the server and to the appropriate directory on the local machine. Near the top of the screen, I get to see all of the communications between the server and the FTP program. Essentially, there's a conversation carried out between the application and the server. FTP program saying to the server, hey, server, and the server responding, what? and they talk back and forth for a little while, and eventually they decide that the application has a file that it wants to upload to the server, and they make arrangements to do that. So you get to see all that conversation back and forth. is isn't quite that informal, but uh, that's pretty much what it boils down to. You get to see the local directory on the left. I put it on the left. You can put it on the right if you want. And you get to see the, uh, the server on the right again. You can put that on the left if you want. But I happen to think of things as moving from the left to the right, so that's the way I set it up. And then down at the bottom, what I find particularly helpful with this program is that it will show me how many data streams are open and it'll show me the progress of each and every file as it's doing the upload, uh, which is far better than what I used to see on the program that was not free. So if you're looking for an FTP application, let me suggest FileZilla. You'll find it at SourceForge on the web. SourceForge is a repository of a lot of open source software, and that's uh, where you can go to find that and a lot of other Really interesting applications. We've talked about SourceForge before. Good place to go. Ah, the mysteries of Microsoft. I took a trip to Microsoft's website to uh, get some information uh, a couple of weeks ago on their new photo file format. The new photo file format is called Windows Media Photo. The file extension is WMP. And I imagine somebody has already made fun of Microsoft calling it a wimpy format. But WMP also stands for Windows Media Player. So while I was on the website, I took a quick look to see how things were going with the Windows Media Player and downloaded Windows Media Player version 11 in beta format. The site also told me that I should update my DirectX drivers. DirectX uh, is a good thing to keep current. Uh, It's an application program interface that Microsoft developed uh, oh, back in the mid-1990s. What this does is it lets programmers develop programs that write to the hardware without knowing exactly what hardware is installed. If that level of abstraction seems a little ponderous to you, well, it's, it is. But uh, it's a lot easier to write a program if you know that you're going to write information to hardware and you don't know what the hardware is, but you're able to, uh, to do that just by sending some generic calls. So DirectX is a good thing to keep very current. Well, Microsoft told me that I really ought to update DirectX, so I told it to go ahead and do that. Interestingly enough, the installation failed, and the installation failed because Microsoft said it couldn't vouch for the program's validity. Turned out all right, though. I actually found that I had the most current version of DirectX on the machine already. Thanks, Microsoft. From time to time, I've talked about laptop computers as lap-hot computers because these things just keep getting hotter and hotter. I've particularly noticed that with the uh, the latest Apple laptop I have, which is not their latest version. Uh, it's uh, one of the G4 laptops, so it's a couple of years old. But one thing I had noticed is that I cannot hold that machine on my lap, so it's a laptop computer you can't use on your laptop simply because it gets so hot. And that's true of all notebook computers. But Apple's having a little bit of a problem with their latest series of notebook computers. These are the ones that use the Intel chip. What happens is the computers tend to overheat. The fan runs all the time. They get extremely hot. And Apple says there's a good reason for that. It seems there was a small manufacturing problem. During the time the machines are manufactured, there's a plastic strip that covers the vent. Why is that? Well, Apple says they do that to keep dust from getting into the laptop. My understanding was always that laptops were assembled in a dust-free environment, if not a complete clean room, at least in an area where there wasn't going to be any dust around. Of course, Apple's notebook computers and iPods are assembled in China. So maybe it's not quite as clean in China as it is here. But for whatever reason... During the manufacturing process, there's a plastic strip put in place along the length of a vent. The vent is directly above the keyboard on the lower half of the laptop computer, right back where the the hinge is. And if you look in there, look closely, you may find a little plastic strip. If you find one of those, pull that out. That will help. Uh, People are still reporting, however, that even when they remove that, that the laptop computer is still pretty darn hot. In fact, Apple cautions for prolonged use. Place your iBook, PowerBook, MacBook, or MacBook Pro on a flat, stable surface. Do not leave the bottom of the computer in contact with your lap or any surface of your body for extended periods. Prolonged contact with your body could cause discomfort and potentially a burn. So now we have laptop computers that should not be used On your lap. Coincidentally this week I received a copy of Laptop Desk from Lapworks. This is a pretty good solution to the heat problem. The device, and it's a device, it's not a piece of software, uh, the device is made of heavy plastic. It folds, so when you're carrying it around it takes up less space in the computer case, but that folding also is interesting because it gives two operating modes. Most people when they use this device will fold it all the way open. It will then fit across your lap. The top surface has some deep channels in it. The channels allow air to circulate around the laptop computer. And also put some space between the laptop computer and your legs, which is a good thing. It is about 20 inches wide, a little bit less than a foot deep, and just over half an inch thick when it's unfolded. When it folds up, it's about 11 inches square and about an inch thick, so it'll easily go in your laptop case. But when you have it folded, you can also use it on a desk in the folded position. And inside, there is a bracket that allows the two pieces, when folded together, to be set at an angle to each other. When you do that, the keyboard is set at an angle. This is a $30 device. You can get two of them for 50 bucks. It's made of a tough plastic. However, the bracket that holds the device partially open is attached with kind of a flimsy plastic. In fact, it actually broke during shipping. The clip that broke in shipping was a little bit disappointing, but it doesn't really adversely affect the unit's performance. That's uh, pretty reasonably priced, I would say, as it has, it has uh, enough non-skid surface to keep the notebook computer that you put on it from sliding off and crashing to the floor. So I would give it three cats. Taking a look at Nerdly News, there is a new version of Google Earth out. This is version 4 beta. If you go to Google's website, you'll find two versions available. Version 3 still available. It's the one marked stable. And version 4 beta is out. Just how popular is Google Earth? Google says it has been downloaded a total of 100 million times. And there are something like 30,000 websites that use Google Earth to provide geographic information of their own. Google makes available, freely available, the uh, application programming interface, the API. Now, if you don't have Google Earth and you'd like it, there are two things to check before you download it. First, you need a fast computer. And if you're talking Windows, uh, you first of all need XP. And second of all, you want a computer that is at least two and a half gigahertz the cpu is at least two and a half gigahertz anything slower than that it's not going to work very well and if you don't have a high speed connection forget it entirely what's new in version four well there's a satellite imagery update high resolution imagery increases the product's index of high resolution imagery by four times so that makes some things that are fairly small more visible than in the past. And it also covers more of the Earth's surface. In fact, there is an absolutely fascinating example that, that uh, is on the main page when you open the program that will actually take you down into the Grand Canyon. A little sleight of hand there, no doubt, but it's still pretty cool. There is an improved interface, so they say. The, the jury is still out, I think, on the interface. Uh, it's not quite as obvious the interface works as with the previous version. Uh, the previous version made zoom in and zoom out quite obvious. The current version it's a little less obvious but once you give it a try uh, it makes a heck of a lot of sense. There's a compass that appears in the upper right hand corner of the screen. When you hover over that compass the compass expands a bit so that you can spin the image. Uh, that's an improvement over uh, the way you rotated images previously and it also provides controls for zooming in, zooming out, and the tilt. Another big feature for version 4 of Google Earth, it is now available for Linux. In addition to being available for Windows and Mac users, Google Earth now runs for the first time on Linux machines. And there's also Google SketchUp with textured buildings. What this does is it allows the creation of textured buildings. There are some cities, Columbus, by the way, is not one of them, where you can specify that you want to see 3D buildings. And currently, the way these display are just kind of as white rectangles. They are useful if you want to see what the urban uh, landscape looks like, but they're not very attractive. The Google SketchUp with textured buildings will make some change there. And for people who use the uh, application for their own programming, the API has been updated. And there are new programming tools that make the process of embedding the dynamic maps into websites even easier. HTTP colon slash slash earth dot Google dot com is where you would go to download that. How fast is your computer going to be in a couple of years? Well, if IBM and the Georgia Institute of Technology have anything to say about it, we are about to see a major change. Typically, when people announce improvements in silicon architecture, uh, you see perhaps an increase in speed of 50 percent, maybe 100 percent. But IBM and Georgia Institute of Technology are now talking about a 200 times increase, 200 times increase. An entry level machine today runs at about two and a half gigahertz. They're talking about machines being able to run at 500 gigahertz. That is simply astounding. This isn't something they're talking about showing up in equipment 10, 15, 20 years from now. The researchers are talking about machines being this fast in perhaps one or two years. Think of it, a CPU running 200 times faster than today's CPUs. Think about that. Even Microsoft Vista might be speedy that way. Hey, thanks for listening. This has been Technology Corner for the week of June twenty 2006. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com, and you can also send email from there.